there. Welcome. And thanks for listening along with Kingstown Communion, an inclusive and affirming United Methodist Church in the Kingstown area of Alexandria, Virginia. And our community exists to gather people, just like you here now, into communion with Christ and extend God's table into the world through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. This podcast is just one way that we live this out. For more information about our church or to give to our ministry, visit kingstowncommunion.net. And if you live nearby, we hope you'll join us for worship on Sundays at Hayfield Secondary School. from Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22, 7 through 24, and 8, 14 through 19. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its width, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and put the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing upon the ground according to its kind. Two of every kind shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every kind of food that is eaten, and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And the waters swelled on the earth for 150 days. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. 
Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, and every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out of the ark by families. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks to God. So there's a story that is um, associated. Do you, y'all hear me okay? Yeah. Um, okay. And, and I just want to make um, for the stream that if y'all cannot hear me, let me know. Okay? Or let's, well, don't let me know. You can't tell me. Um, let, put it on the in the comments and let me know and then we can, we can turn it up. Um, so there's a story that is associated with one of the great uh, financial institutions on Wall Street. The story goes that one Friday evening, uh, letters arrived in the mailboxes of 12 members of the executive board of this large and prestigious investment bank. The letters were unsigned, not on letterhead. They were very brief, each comprising of just four words. They know everything fully. So by Monday morning, 10 of the 12 board members had left town and that famous financial giant was looking for new leadership. They know everything fully. But imagine for a second if we really could see into the shadows of each person's heart and know everything. We could read the whole truth of a person. We could see into everybody's heart and read the whole truth of a person and the lies that are lurking there in each person. How terrifying would that be? We live our lives fueling our fantasies, nursing resentments, protecting our secrets, We're deeply lonely because we never find anyone who who can truly understand us and all of those parts in us that we never want anyone to see. But what keeps us lonely is our terror that somebody may one day stumble upon the truth of who we are. And in all this anxiety and striving and denial and all of our desperation, to hold it together and to seem on top of things and to hide our failures, we habitually, we forget one thing in that, that God already knows the truth of who we are. God sees through our claims that everybody that God sees through our claims that, that, um, that, you know, just, Everybody does it, so I, that's why I do too, and, and smiles when we say things like it's, it's not so bad, and winces when we say to ourselves, no one will notice. And so God has this fundamental decision to make then. Is God going to let the sad reality of who we are determine the way that God relates to us. 
Or is God going to see past who we are and who, to who we were made to be? The Bible suggests that God made that choice a very long time ago. In the time before time, it says that Genesis calls the time of Noah. God made that choice. Do you remember what I just said the choice was? The choice for God was, is God going to see past who we are to who we were made to be? Is God going to see past the sad state of who we are? And so God makes this choice in the time of Noah. The early pages of Genesis know the truth of who we are, right? We know what happened in Genesis straight away. There's suspicion and anxiety and jealousy and deceit, even murder within like the first few chapters of the Old Testament. Where we're only six chapters into the Bible here. And God has already had it with us. God's had it with creation. And so we know the story, or we think we know the story. God sends a flood to destroy the earth's inhabitants because of this. And then after six solid months of flood, suddenly the story tells us God remembered Noah. And then after the familiar parts about the ravens and the doves and the twigs and the olive branches, we get to this extraordinary passage that was not in your reading today, but it's the later part of it. This passage where God says, never again, never again will there ever be a flood. Never again will I destroy the earth. This is the last time. It will never happen again, God says. And straight away, the entire dynamic of the Bible changes in those two words. Never again. We, we assume this whole issue is really about God's patience with us. We think the tension in this story is really to see how long, how long God can keep his temper before he finally explodes again on humanity. If we wait long enough, we wait God out long enough, God is bound to not live up to that never again. But it turns out that God actually keeps God's promises. God never does lose God's temper. God never breaks God's promise here. There's really no tension there. No bated breath there. God just keeps God's promise. How boring is that? <laughs> Instead, the tension lies in wondering how on earth and in heaven above is God going to ever resolve that sticky problem of human sin if God, in fact, is never again going to destroy the earth. How does God do that then? How on earth? That's the tension we're waiting on. That's the question we have. How is God going to resolve the problem of human sin if God's never going to just wipe us off the face of the planet again? How's God going to do that? It seems pretty impossible with destruction on, 
off the table now, right? I mean, God, you, you, might, you might regret having made promises like never again. Like my mom always told me, you don't use qualifiers like never and always, right? Because you can get yourself in trouble by using those qualifiers. You, are you following me so far? Okay, you with me? Okay, so let's pause for a moment then. If that's the real tension, that's the real tension in the story. Let's pause for a moment in the story and hear deep down inside those words of God, those words never again. Let's, let's, let's hear what's happening here. The reality is that we will, we, we still retain this kind of punitive notion of God, right? We still try to hide who we are from God. Like, like a teenage boy doing what teenage boys do, whatever that may be, parents of teenage boys. And, and it turns out, as much as they try to, t to hide it, mom knows what you're doing. But hear what God has to say to each one of us, teenagers, we are, trying to hide our junk under our bed and all. God says, I know who you really are. I know how you've grabbed and hidden and hoarded and betrayed and denied and misused. I know you. But then you're the second part of this kind of never again. I know, but I'm not going to let your distorted desire put my love for you out of shape. Don't flatter yourself that your sin can ruin my story, God says. I promised I would never again destroy my people and I keep my promises. I know you, but I won't destroy you. I'll find a way to, to love you back to life, even if it takes forever to do it. And don't worry, I'm going to outlast you because my patience is greater than your stubbornness. In just under two months from now, um, we begin together the season of Advent. You believe Advent's that close. Um, and there's this new kind of um, fad, uh, this new multi-day calendar or program that I've seen um, people starting to take up during seasons of preparation for God, like Advent, or seasons of repentance before God, like Lent. Um, it's this program or practice um, in these seasons of never throwing anything away. It's called the non-disposable Advent or the non-disposable Lent. If, if you did want to take up a practice like this during Advent to help hold your heart closer to God and, or during Lent, um, you want to take that up, first you need to develop your imagination for what you are going to do with the endless amount of food and packaging that you throw away. What are you going to do with it if you're not going to dispose of it? Um, and then second, <laughs> You have to, well, first, you have to create that plan of what you're going to do with it. And then second, you, you quickly are going to be making arrangements to not bring into your house so much stuff, right? You've got to cut it off before it even comes into your house uh, because you want to cut the problem <laughs> off at the source, right? So you have to think, what am I going to do with it? But, but, well, I can't do any, everything with everything, so I... I've got to bring in less things. 
Now pause for a moment and think, just think that's exactly, that is exactly what God did. The day God put the rainbow in the clouds at the end of the Noah story. God said, from now on, I'm never going to throw anything away. Not you, not the animals, not the whole earth. From now on, I'm going to work out a way of saving the earth from itself rather than feeling like I can always fall back on destroying it. You could call, call it maybe God's non-disposable salvation. What amazing thing to hear God say to us. I'm not going to throw you away because fundamentally I don't throw things away anymore. I find a future use for everything I've made. Every aspect of your being, I'll give, I'll, every aspect of your being, I'll use to give life to others even, whether you're happy to join in the process of it or not. And if you participate in this, in this process, you'll call it life. Eternal life, maybe that's what you call it. And if you try to sabotage this process of me not throwing anything ever away, and sometimes even try to poison that process, you'll call it death. I want you to be a part of the way I'm, I'm giving you life, but even if you're having none of it, you can't finally stop me from making you a part of the way that I give life to the world. But we all know how profoundly we resist the ways of God. God flies ahead of us and says, fly in, fly in my, my slipstream. I've made it easy for you now. Fly. And half of us are so reckless that we demand to take our own route and, and flying too close to the sun often. Or doing ridiculous loop-the-loops. Another half of us are so timid that we, we won't even get off the plane, get the plane off the ground. Even though God has promised God will never destroy us, we will always turn, our, turn it into something that's perverted, and God will always use what we pervert to make it into something good. We still make this fundamental mistake over and over and over again, assuming our sin is more real than God's grace. We assume and wait for that. Finally, God will turn out to be as bad as us, right? God will turn out to be as bad as us rather than God making us as good as God. And so finally then, because of this, Noah is not enough. Right? God's promise was not enough in the face of our mistrust. We could not believe that God would not destroy the earth again. We could not believe in that kind of goodness from God. We, we needed not just God's promise, we needed God's person to really get through to us about what God meant when God said those words, never again. And so in the life of Jesus, we, we had it out with God for once and for all. 
our sin took on God's grace. Somehow we just couldn't believe that if we had God around us long enough, we, we wouldn't succeed in making God as cynical and twisted as we are. And in the end, we, we did to God precisely what God in the Noah story said God would never again do to us. We then set out to dispose God. And we thought, oh, we thought we had pulled it off too. We were sure we had thrown God away for good. But the resurrection is this like second rainbow in the clouds. Christ, the new Noah for us. The resurrection of God saying, you cannot destroy me. You cannot stop me turning your evil into my good. Your sin will never outlast my grace. You'll never again have any grounds for thinking I mean to dispose of you. I will, I will love you to life, however much it costs me, however long it takes. Jesus, Jesus is the embodiment of God's words to Noah never again. God had promised never again to destroy the earth. But that created a problem. God knew who we really were. But how were we to discover who God really was? When we, when we insisted on, on misrepresenting God, misunderstanding God, portraying God as selfish, jealous, and insecure image of ourselves, there was nothing that God could do anymore to set us straight other than come God's very self among us and remove all doubt forever. So Jesus' coming revealed who God really is, and sadly, the way we treated Jesus revealed who we really are. Never again can we say we don't know who we really are. Never again. And never again can we say we don't know who God really is. Never again. Our God is the God who said never again. Never again will I reject you, destroy you, expose you, humiliate you, even though I know exactly who and what you are. Never again should you portray me in your own image. I don't let your sin determine my picture of you, so you shouldn't allow your sin to dominate your picture of me. Never again. And once we have met the non-disposable God who offers this non-disposable salvation, the God who refuses to throw us away, we then can sense that call in us to reflect and confess the way we live as disposable people, people who are content to cast aside anyone or anything if they stand in the way of our comfort, convenience, conscience, contentment. We start to realize that God, the non-disposable God, the God who offers non-disposable salvation, really sees us, the disposable as we are, and says never again. Would you pray with me? God, we have a way of, of, of really writing off um, 
writing off all things that are not for our comfort and for our contentment, of, of writing stories about those who have opposite political views of, as we do, stories of, um, of those who are um, terrorizing through war, stories, we write stories about um, news anchors and um, who have who have sinned as we all do. We we're, we've gotten really good, God, at, at being a part of this kind of cancel culture of um, disposing whatever doesn't make sense to us, whatever is um, is abhorrent to us. And God, you are um, you're the non-disposable God who offers non-disposable salvation. And so this should feel to our very core anytime we start to, to completely dismiss another human as incompatible with who you call us to be. It's a cycle of, of just throwing things and people away. And you never throw us away, God. And so we confess in any way, God, where we have drawn um, huge lines um, in our hearts and our minds. Um, and uh, because we know that that, as much as we talk about the division in our world, we know that, that those lines we draw on ourselves are contributing to that same division. We've forgotten how to love and disagree. I've just gotten so used to throwing things and people away. It's so not who you are, and so we we confess that that's um, that's on our hearts. That is a stain that we must. Um, must acknowledge. And God, you see who we are. You see all of our dualisms, all of the ways that we say, um, we speak um, about kindness, and, um, and gosh, we speak of the loving kindness we, ought, we, we want to live out, and then um, we live in this dualism of writing people off. You see it, God, you see who we are, and you still don't write us off. And we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for the grace that only we find in you. God, free us for joyful obedience to be people who, who say, never again, never again will I um, be so, so drawn to division. Never again will I be so drawn to writing people off. Never again will I be so drawn to not expecting redemption and restoration at every corner. So easy to be drawn to it, God, but we repent of it and we say no, never again. And we, we, we join in that prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 